0: A podcast one production. Uh, Welcome to Fail with Greta Lee Jackson the podcast where I speak to people about times they messed up and what they learned on their journey to success. I dated an Italian guy for a couple of years. With English being his second language, he would often get little things wrong, like common expressions or phrases. Once, we had a big party at our place and I had too much to drink and passed out before everyone had gone home. He went out to explain to everyone my absence, saying, I'm so sorry, everybody, but Greta has passed away please still enjoy the party. A few people apparently looked shocked, asking if we needed to call an ambulance and why was he smiling. He replied, it's okay, she's passed away. If you like, we can draw the penis on her face. So the next day I woke up with a defaced face and I still can't be completely sure if my friends did it because they thought I was drunk or dead. In this episode, I'll be talking to writer and actor Penny Greenhalge about ice dancing, depression and what it's like doing a show to just two people.
1: I was doing a show in Adelaide. This was my last uh, solo show before I quit. This was the show that drove me crazy. So this show I promised myself I would write in advance. Didn't. Always. And so this show was, like, particularly ambitious. It was... Uh it was a murder mystery set on a cruise ship in the 1960s in France. And it was uh, I had all the music it was all like French music all like Serge Gainsbourg and stuff like that. All it was all I had it all. Uh but I had nothing in in the middle really and I was just making shit up. I had all these characters and it was it was nonsense. It I was I find that
0: terrifying making it yeah, up.
1: Yeah yeah. Yeah. It was it was absolutely terrifying and when I think about it I'm I just I can't believe the balls I had to get up there in the first place and then I'll be right and then I can't believe I thought that I would be fine anyway I was performing in the basement of a post office it was an abandoned post office in Adelaide it was a venue that had been set up at the very last minute nobody knew where it was nobody had bought tickets to my show so Penny this one night I got through like the first couple of shows by the seat of my pants. Uh, There was a lot of fucking sound effects and uh, oh god, such a a lot of tech pantomime, total pantomime. Anyway, this one night there were three people in my audience. That's not unusual for this venue. Uh, But what was unusual was that it was three business people. They were Adelaide business people who'd come straight from work. There was uh, two guys and a girl. They were all in their mid-40s and they had all definitely not read what my show was about before buying tickets. And they were so awful to me. They hated me from the very beginning. Uh, they heckled, they were like suggesting, they were suggesting to one another better punchlines to my jokes and stuff like that. Uh, and then one of them fell asleep. So at this point, Greta, a third of my audience was asleep. (laughs) (laughs) Shit. No. Uh, I, I think at one point I said to them, you know, this, you know, this isn't, you're not watching television. Like I can hear what you're saying, and they just went. Whoa, 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 whoa. They thought they were. They thought that they were funnier than, and they were right. Also, the show. No,
0: a, no, I'm filled with rage. <laughs> Let's kill these people. <laughs> no. <laughs> Fail. What would you describe that you do for a living?
1: What I get paid to do is write TV scripts. They're not always funny. Sometimes. I'm writing studio scripts for TV shows that I don't find funny. Not naming any names. I write scripts. But they're not always comedic. (laughs) (laughs) But you do other stuff. Yeah. Well, I perform as well, I guess. I don't, like... Yeah, you do. Okay, all right. I perform. (laughs) But, yeah, mostly right. Why is there a reticence there to admit you perform? Well, okay. Jesus. I've gone deep. I stopped performing... A lot about two years ago because I got real stage fright. The, the live stuff? Yeah, the live stuff. Yeah, I yeah. agree with that. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I, was, I, did, uh, I did festivals for three years straight and uh, I just gave myself full-blown de- anxiety and depression. And we've talked about this
0: because that's happened to me as well. Right. And I've stopped doing live performance because of that. It's changed your life? Well, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the pressure you put on yourself, you don't realize until you stop.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. My my fa- my whole family staged an intervention. Did they? <laughs> they were really worried about me. Yeah. I was a shell. I was I was not myself. It was really bad. Yeah, what is it? What happens? I can't figure it out myself. I so here's my theory. Uh it's it's the fact that you're working alone, I think. That's the start. And then the, 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 the fact of the matter is you as a comedian standing on a stage by yourself, it's like, it's like a fucked up version of a social interaction, right? Because it's a conversation, except it's you talking to a room full of people who have paid to come and listen to you talk. And it's not a conversation because you've practiced what you're going to say for weeks in advance before you get into the room. So you anticipate a reaction? Well, you're, you want, yeah, you're, you're, you're asking to be liked every couple of seconds during that hour. You're asking for a physical response that acknowledges that people like you. You know what I mean? So your self-worth. I'm stressing it right now. Yeah. Your self-worth is so tied up with your work. And I think there's no escaping it, particularly when it's you in the room physically on a day to day basis. Just constantly asking to be liked. How did your family,
0: how did you respond? Were you like defensive at first or did you go with it or?
1: Yeah, I was really defensive. I didn't want to acknowledge it at all. I think I remember saying to my mum once, but this
0: is all I have. (laughs) Talk about identity tied up.
1: (laughs) I know and I didn't want to fail. I didn't want to feel like I couldn't do it. I really, really, really wanted to succeed comedy I wanted to make everyone like me
0: because that's essentially what it is yeah yeah but there's no saying that you have failed at that at all
1: oh good on your mum <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, so no that's I mean that's yeah you're absolutely right but that's also how my mum framed it and I didn't want to hear it right because your version of succeeding at it is different to, to hers well yeah in to me, if I stopped, that was giving in and that was admitting that I couldn't do it and that was admitting to failure. I fully get that. Mm. But it's not. But then, but then two years down the track, is that the case? Well, I'm happier than I've ever been. Right. Uh, I don't perform as much as I would like to and I don't know what would happen if I went back to it now. I think my perspective has shifted. I think I could protect myself better um, and, I, and I could probably enjoy it again, you know, I really didn't towards the end. I just cried. Same. But that's one of the best
0: things I've ever seen is your roller skating thing.
1: <laughs> wow. It's very it's, good.
0: It's one of the best things I've ever seen because it was everything I liked about performance in that it was so stupid and you were trying desperately for it to go well <laughs> in the character. <laughs> and, but it was, just, it was just chaos and it didn't follow the mould without trying to be shocking right it wasn't shocking it didn't follow the mold without being shocking it was just fun and stupid and the best of both worlds
1: do you know what I mean wow that's very high praise yeah it was great cr- I just remember being blown away I think it was I destroyed you destroyed the joint I remember that that's intoxicating isn't it that's in the a, end it's more very difficult that to- big theater mm. and I skated down the entire aisle <laughs> So oh. why? It's like that's that's part of it. Why do you want to give that up? That feeling. I know, you know? it's a drug. Yeah. But then I was behaving like a total drug addict. You know, and that's what my mum said. She was like, you know, I, it, it, there would be withdrawals and stuff. Like it was it was classic drug addiction. And it's that. It's like wanting to wanting to. I. It was never enough for me to do an okay show. I had to destroy. I had to like kill. Every gig every show, and every show had to be bigger than and better than the last one, and that um perfectionism as well yeah and trying to control circumstances that are very far beyond your control oh fully you can't you just can't be fulfilled in mm. that situation because I reckon it's all a process okay i don't know i don't know if there's ever i don't know if there's fulfillment in this job necessarily because uh, it's the pursuit of something. It's like I always want more. Always, I'm ambitious, and I want to be good, and I'm never satisfied. I always poke holes in everything. Even, even, and that's the problem too. Like even with the highs, I question it. Even when people say that was awesome, I question it. So it's never. There's never satisfaction. I don't think. That's really interesting.
0: Um, so you think it's th- there's fulfilment in the process or in reflection ever
1: or? Uh, I, think, I think I find like there is a, there's a sense of satisfaction for it. When, you, when you know you've worked hard and you've earned something, that's satisfying, but not for long. Do you feel that? Yeah,
0: but can't you thank it for what it's done and sort of move on sort of thing? Like thanks for that. I know it's not <laughs> the be all and end all, but.
1: Gratitude. Yeah.
0: Tell me about the ice, skate, ice, dancing. The ice dancing. Do you want to? Ice dancing bit. Yeah, yeah, sure.
1: Okay, so this is an idea that I had way back in university, right? I, I, uh, my friend and I, Zoe, we had these nun characters. And we had, we always had this idea to do like an ice dance to Halo by Beyonce. We thought it was really funny. And that means a a, a skating thing on like an ice skating dance. Yeah, like choreography, choreography on skates. Tonya Harding sort of thing. Exactly. We always wanted to do that dressed as nuns. And we thought that Halo was a really funny thing for nuns to dance to. But the two of us on rollerblades, we couldn't do it. We couldn't lift each other because we're idiots. We can't like, we're not professionals, um, so it wasn't until years later, like ten years later, that I realised if it was just me by myself, I could get someone out of the audience to be my dance partner. So, um, so I did it. I got, I had, I have my leotard on from my jazz ballet uh, class that I took in year ten. This idiot leotard and this little skirt, and I'm like, I come out and I'm like, "Hi, I'm Penny. You've got this." Um, a big arena spectacular that I want to put on. Unfortunately got no budget kind of thing. No ice for starters for this ice dance that I've choreographed. And then I get a random dude out of the audience to be my ice dancing partner and uh and I just like leave him to like the, the music starts, Beyonce, and I sit down and put my ice my ice skates, I want to talk about rollerblades, pair of rollerblades and make him dance, start do the opening as though we've rehearsed it. And uh, and usually they act like a they they do something stupid and the crowd loves them for it. And then... Because they're trying. They're trying. They're really trying. And they don't know what I'm going to do. They don't know whether I'm going to stand up and do something amazing. But what happens is I say, give me a hand, and and then they try and help me up, but I can't get up because my skates are going mental underneath me. And that just, I just fall down for four minutes basically. And they think they're doing it wrong, the, they, ma- the man does. <laughs> do you think so? Oh, yeah, they're like, oh, no. <laughs> they do, they panic, <laughs> I've seen them. <laughs> oh, no, I'm ruining it for her. Yeah. Well, uh, they, they're not though because I'm, yeah, it's me. And uh, and the more the more they try and help, the more the audience loves them for it and the more I fall down. The more ridiculous it is. And I try, I set it up so that they have to lift me above their head and all this stuff and it all just goes wrong.
0: But you're quite a tall lady. I'm a tall lady. That's so funny. Yeah. It's really, you know what I liked about it, what I thought was brilliant was I've always struggled with I'll never be a dancer, I'll never be a singer, I'm too clumsy, I don't have the training. I always used to give up. Mm -hmm. I'd like do a year and then be like I can't be like these other girls and I'd give up. Mm. But the breakthrough was seeing that was like. Oh my god, you can do it. You can live your dreams of being an ice dancer <laughs> if it's if it's stupid. <laughs> if it's a, if it's a complete and utter farce, you yeah. can still do it. Yeah. In front of everyone.
1: Yeah, and it's and it's the best fun. It is the best fun. If you I go full Beyoncé. Oh, so good. Yeah. And it yeah, is it's the greatest. I, I love doing that bit and it's really joyful and stupid and it works for everybody. It doesn't matter who you pull out of the audience. Um it's like a Mr Bean kind of thing. It, you can appreciate it no matter where you're from. Like I got invited to Korea to perform because of that bit. Hectic. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because afford- you don't have to speak really. I mean it's a, well, a set up. Yeah, there's the setup, but you, don't, you, can, you can do without that. Yeah.
0: I think that's why the Umbilical Brothers do really well because it just translates. It's all totally. physical.
1: But the worst gig I've ever done was in Korea – and it was doing that bit in an actual arena, because <laughs> no, everyone was like, "Yeah, but you're here though, so you basically are Beyonce." <gasps> you know what I mean? So the setup didn't work. It, that, the venue is completely wrong. It was completely wrong. <gasps> I was. It worked really well when I was in a you know a converted office in Adelaide Fringe, you know, with like an air conditioner on the stage. Because it's too much for that. Yeah. But it's not enough for an arena. And it didn't translate (gasps) because I was trying to explain, you know, English is not, yeah. So, but (laughs) it didn't matter. That show was mental. They'd flown everybody in from Seoul. It was like, uh, what do you call it, K-pop bands, you name it, it was wild. And there you are. And there I was, yeah, it was like the the least remarkable thing about that show was a giant Australian woman (laughs) in a leotard. (laughs) I would never have turned the initial idea I had at university into the thing that it became without spending a year at clown school in France. Right. (laughs) Because that's where you learn... Uh, well, you learn. It's like clowning, basically. You you just learn that these these there's a uh, there's an idiot, there's a beautiful idiot that really wants to achieve a goal and doesn't have the tools to make it happen.
0: But that's a universal comedy thing. I think that you've taught me just writing together. I've only done five days of clowning. It was terrifying. Mm. But. That I did manage to garner the whole thing of the idiot who believes they're right.
1: Yeah. Well, the idiot, the idiot who seriously is trying. Yeah. Trying and failing. And you got that at French clown school. Gollier threw chalk at you. Gollier <laughs> was a dick. He was so mean. He didn't throw any chalk at me, but he did say some horrible things about me and my mother. What? <laughs> he is a prick, isn't he? he yeah. Yeah. No. Well, it's, it's funny. He does it, it's, it's, a, it's funny and it makes you realise what an ego you have. It teaches you that you can't fall back on your clever wit and your sassiness or anything that you've cultivated as like a defence mechanism or uh, anything that works for you as a performer it just doesn't work when you're, when you're performing as a clown because you have to be funny in the way that a cat video is funny. In a way. Totally. It's such a (laughs) leveller. It's It's such a leveller. I think it's like self-preservation is the enemy of creativity. As demonstrated by us
0: both quitting live performance.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay,
0: so we've talked about the good times. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I want to get into um, the rock bottom. Cool. Can you tell me, do you feel comfortable sharing with me, what was your rock bottom?
1: For me, it was a combination of things. I was, I was like I was working too much. I was working really, really hard. And uh, it was all stuff that was like quite a hack, you know. I wasn't, I wasn't creating anything of value in my opinion and I, as far as I was concerned, had failed as a performer Uh, and I was making money but in a sense I sort of felt like a sellout and I was living in this house. I was sort of like isolating myself socially. I I didn't want to see anybody. I didn't want to tell anyone what I was going through. I was depressed. I was depressed and anxious and I think, highly confronted by my relationship falling apart, my relationship with my partner um, because I was the problem in many ways. Facing it was when I hit rock bottom, seeing seeing myself really, you know. I was – all the things that I really dislike in other people, you know, the things that I find really uh, – distasteful and or that you
0: avoid or exactly
1: yeah and I and I realized that I I am I I'm jealous and I'm vindictive and I'm manipulative and I lie and I was just so angry all the time and bitter my sister for example I couldn't be happy for her she was it, she she had been married and stuff. Uh, I don't know how long before that, and I res I resented that. I resented it so much. I resented her happiness. I resented the party they threw. I resented her friends. You know, I just I hated every. I, I couldn't. It was. It's like, just it's a like shitty, it, pathetic way to be. It's like when you take it personally. Mm, yeah, I get that. Mm. Um, and it was the same for any success that I saw around me you know like anyone who was happy anyone who was doing well anyone who was awarded for their successes and stuff I was like to me their success was directly affecting me it was a personal attack and I hated them for it there was no upside there was no lightness there was no warmth there was no generosity that I but that's but that's survival mechanism that's survival kicking in do
0: you know you do realize that right
1: well yeah i guess my personality's come back now that i'm not depressed but yeah like i mean does it does it make any difference i think like you are the way you act and at that point maybe yes i was acting out of a desire to survive but i was also a fuckhead
0: you're not the only person that goes through this mm. because you know i know low points this year where I wasn't working and I would see people getting awarded these things that I really wanted and just you end up, oh my God, like your guts drop into ice and Mm. you start like wanting to cry and panicking and oh my God, it's all over for me. When things are going well, your time is occupied, you've got goals set, you, you go, oh, good for them. But when you are at that rock bottom, it's real hard to get in that mindset. You just blame everybody else. So. 100%. Yeah.
1: yeah. 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 Then, and worse, you want revenge. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 Really? Which, who, give me an oh, example. I,
1: like, I wouldn't take out revenge. I just tell everyone something, you know? It's just fantasies. But really, Penny? You're bullshitting me. Come on. I'm actually not. This is the sick thing. I would never tell th- – at the point that it was happening, there's no way I would tell anybody that I was feeling that way. Mm. It was too shameful. Well, with that in mind
0: and, and, and knowing, knowing what that's like for you and where you go to and, like, how do you bring yourself out of it? What are your tactics? Is it just time? Is it something else? Is it – I think
1: that's the hardest thing. Uh, I Like, because you have to, uh, on, a, on, a, uh, on a level you have to be aware that you're doing it probably, you know, that you are getting to an edge and that there's, you know, a fairly dark path ahead of you if you keep going down this road. Um, it's a real reckoning probably. How do I pull myself out of it? I don't know. I think I'm really lucky that my family saw what was going on and, and, Um, forced me to kind of wake up, I guess. I think I'm on the other side of it now, pretty much. You know, there's still residual. I still get anxious and down and stuff. But on the whole, I think I'm a much better friend and daughter and sister and human. With that, there's an acceptance that it's going
0: to happen again. This is the thing. This is what I go through. It's like this is we've come out of the last one. But it's gonna happen again. And Mm. just knowing that and being aware of like, oh, it's happening again.
1: Yeah. It'll Yeah, but I well, I don't know. Do you find do you find that with that awareness there's a certain kind of bravery? As in I don't know, for me, having having it thrown in my face in such a full on and raw way. With the intervention. Wow, yes, but also my own realization. You know, knowing that and knowing that you can recognise the signs and, and knowing that, like, this is the path you've walked before, in a way, in a way, I, I don't know about you, but I feel like it's never going to be that dark again. Even though it's like a, it's like a vaccine. You might, you might catch the same disease, but it, chances are it won't ever be as bad. Yes, it might happen again. Um,
0: but if you've got an awareness of it, that makes a little bit lighter mm. and you kind of go, all right, I'm aware of what's happening rather than what the hell is happening to me. So they talk about the light of awareness, shining a light on awareness and suddenly it's not as scary and as un- unfamiliar when you're aware of what's happening.
1: Because there's an awareness that you need, I think, as a grown-up in life. I think you need to be aware of your flaws and I wasn't. Okay. I was very naive. I I thought of myself as a good guy. Interesting. But do you know how many people go through life that aren't able to accept that they have any flaws like that? They're just like. Yeah, but more for them, you know, and like God help them when they find themselves in trouble. Right. Yeah. Exactly.
0: As sensitive creative types, we do a lot of soul-searching and, and, and figuring our shit out because we don't want repeats as bad. Hmm. We want to be a bit more aware. But I
1: think also like people, people like us who are interested in people, you kind of want to dig a bit deeper as well. You want to know. It's, a, it's maybe, maybe got more to do with curiosity. You know what I mean? Right. What is, what is this? What is this? And what does it mean for me? What does it mean for other people? What does it mean? Right. Yeah, totally.
0: All right. Well, what lessons have you learnt? What
1: would you tell your younger self kind of thing? Like what? Like, Uh, Well, my younger self was a total psychopath. Um, (laughs) I haven't told you anything about what I was like in high school, but that that bitch needs advice. Go on, go on. Okay. So uh, I kept diaries. If you have brothers, you do not keep diaries. (laughs) Learned that
0: pretty early on. they turn up and show and tell that they'd turn up as news. Uh, no. So i never kept a diary, which I did, mm. but it was the risk was too great. Go well, on. Well, I
1: went to an all-girls private boarding school, so I had to do something to get it off my chest. Uh, and I wrote, um, I was just a lunatic. I was really in my own head. I was like a hillbilly cross with like a poet and I was angsty, goddamn, so angsty. It was, it was a rough time for me because I couldn't navigate all the nasty girl stuff. Like I wasn't, I just didn't have the skills, couldn't do it. So I used to like lock myself in the toilet at lunchtime uh, and just hang out there. It was quiet, you know what I mean? No one could see me. And what I would do is I would stash a pen in my pocket and I would write on the toilet roll, my Oscar acceptance speeches and other shit like that. (laughs) I kept them all. I kept them all but then when I finished school, I got rid of all of them in like a, a fire. I was like purging myself. It's devastating. I wish I kept them. I wish it was all, all variations on the same theme. It was like, you know, I could probably recall them. There was a lot of like thanking my parents and like and how, you know, Kate Blanchett was a real inspiration to me and stuff like that. <laughs> I wrote in my diary, genuinely, this was my goal. I wanted to be a French movie star. French. I needed help. I needed a lot of help.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that girl needs some advice. I was a 16-year-old nut as well. Instead of writing, I'd draw, like, pictures of princesses and handsome princes and stuff in a little art diary and colour them with colour pencil. Did you draw wedding dresses? No. It was more like mermaids and fairies with, like, handsome princes.
1: Cute. But never wedding stuff. I wasn't mural. I was a little bit. Oh, you did? I drew wedding dresses. I wasn't really like Muriel. I guess, yeah. It was more when I was younger I was obsessed with getting married. But, you know, like when you have a crush on someone and you, so you practice your signature with their last name?
0: I what saw, the fuck
1: were we all on? I don't know. It's so sad. I don't know. Why are we all so pathetic? It's just so sad. I think the advice that's a bit of a coverall for all of this is like don't care so much about what other people think. Yeah. Because that, that screwed me right up was caring right. so deeply about what other people thought of me. It was paralysing But it, when I was a kid. Do we ever get rid of that? Well, we bloody better. Yeah, yeah. Because it's a sickness, it's the same sickness I had, you know, when I was performing. Yeah, it it right. took me straight back to high school. Right. It was the same impulse. I wanted to impress people, I wanted to be cool, I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to be liked. Like me, like me, like me. Yeah. Please. Yeah. It's a self worth shit. Yeah. You, like, yeah, I reckon tie your self worth to everything else except what you do for work. I guess that's what it is. Realizing it doesn't matter. That's right. And not, and, and, yeah, not. Not caring to the point of, like, paralysis.
0: Right, okay, <laughs> Just have good.
1: Just fun. Lighten up. That's it. <laughs> Thanks, Betty.
0: Thank you, Greta. Thanks for listening. To share your fails with me, you can contact me on my Facebook or Twitter at Greta Lee Jackson. Fail with Greta Lee Jackson is presented by me and recorded at the studios of Podcast One Australia. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. For more episodes of Fail with Greta Lee Jackson, Download the Podcast One app or look me up on Apple Podcasts.